Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. College football betting. That's right. I am back. This is Aaron Torres. I hope everybody is doing well. Hope everybody had a great Christmas. And hope everybody is ready for a special bowl edition of the College Football Betting Show with Aaron Torres. Yes, it has been a while since we have done one of these, but I figured with all the big bowl games coming up over the next few days, highlighted by the college football playoff games on Friday, the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the Sugar Bowl on Saturday, what better time to bring back college football betting with Aaron Torres. I hope all of you are doing well. Hope all of you are enjoying these so, so supposed meaningless bowl games. Uh, on in the background right now, I have the Birmingham Bowl on. It's been a fun watch so far. Sold out stadium in Birmingham. So for all the losers that are complaining there's too much college football, these games are meaningless. Screw you guys. College football is here. College football betting show is back. Uh, a couple quick things before we get into it. First of all, just great to be back. It's been a long time. Again, for the third time, hope everybody had a great holiday season. What I will say is, if you are subscribed, and if you're not subscribed, make sure to, to subscribe. Uh, we will do some episodes over the course of this offseason. Obviously, look, things have slowed down since the conference championship week, but we are going to do a big bowl preview here. We will do a, 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 a preview of the national championship game here in a few weeks. And it's also worth noting that as stuff happens over the course of the summer, we'll do a couple episodes here and there. So we have updated Heisman Trophy odds. We'll do a show. We have updated national championship odds after the national championship game in the middle of January in Indianapolis. We'll do a show. We get our first look ahead lines to week one and week two of next year. We'll do a show. So go ahead and make sure that you are subscribed because we will be doing a lot of stuff here in the middle of the winter into the spring and the summer, ramping up towards what should be a very fun 2022 season. There are already some things in the works to make this show even bigger or better, bigger and better than it has been. I should also mention, by the way, just the rundown of today's show, kind of pretty straightforward, right? I will start with the two games that matter the most. It will be the same as it's always been. I'll give you all the information that I've gathered over the last two, three weeks. Not going to tell you how to make a pick. And then after we do the two college football playoff games, I do think we'll kind of work our way forward from there. In other words, we'll take a quick break. I know after the college football playoff game, it would probably make sense to start with the bigger games first, the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta, the or the, the, the Sugar, etc. But what I think I'm going to do, I'm recording here again on, on Tuesday afternoon, 
during the Birmingham Bowl. Uh, what I think I'll do, I'll just start with the late Tuesday night games, the Holiday Bowl, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, and then we'll just go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, into Friday, into those big games on Saturday. Uh, and if you don't listen to this till Wednesday, you don't listen to it until Thursday, you can, of course, fast forward past the Holiday Bowl, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, all that good stuff. Uh, and I think it's worth noting, as I go through all those games, I'm not going to have a strong opinion on all of them because this is bowl season and it is always important to note that uh, betting bowl games is a hazard to your health. And so my final caveat before we get to Alabama Cincinnati, yes, listen to this show. Yes, subscribe. Yes, share with friends. Yes, share with family. But bet bowl games at your own risk. First of all, there is the always prevalent uh, care factor in terms of who actually wants to be there, who doesn't want to be there, who cares, who doesn't care. We now have opt-outs at a higher level than we have ever had before. As a matter of fact, if you are looking for one place to get all of the opt-outs in one place, we do have a, an opt-out tracker at AaronTorresOnline.com. I encourage you to check that out. And then finally, we know the situation with COVID. If you guys follow me on social media, if you listen to the Aaron Torres pod, you know where I stand on this stuff. But it is something that you do have to monitor all bowl season long. It is going to impact these games. We've seen the Hawaii Bowl canceled. We've seen the Barstool Bowl canceled. We've seen the Fenway Bowl canceled. We've seen some shuffling of teams as Central Michigan is now going to El Paso for the Sun Bowl. So be wary of opt-outs, which you can find on Aaron Torres online and, of course, with COVID cases. With that said, though, let's get to our full-fledged college football playoff preview. And again, we'll preview the two college football playoff games. And then from there, we'll take a break and start working our way forwards with the game starting on Tuesday night. But with that said, college football playoff, Alabama versus Cincinnati is the early game. Arlington, Texas, Friday afternoon. What is it? About 3.30, 4 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, and what I think is really interesting about both of these college football playoff semifinals, not just Alabama-Cincinnati, but Michigan-Georgia, which we'll get into in a minute, is both of these games started out with a very interesting point spread that's kind of a betting inflection point that makes you feel like the the bet, the, 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 the books, DraftKings Sportsbook, etc., wants you to take one side of all of these games, and the line hasn't moved, right? And so you look at Alabama-Cincinnati, the line opens with Alabama as a 13.5-point favorite. The over-under is 57, but I saw Dave Purdom from ESPN put out this tweet, and I found it fascinating. He said that per bet MGM, and every book's a little bit different, but that 75% of bets are on Alabama so far, and 92% of the money that has come in is on Alabama. And so I bring it up because 13 and a half is just a number that the books are screaming at you, take Alabama, take Alabama, take Alabama. All they got to do is win by a couple measly touchdowns, two touchdowns, and you win your bet. And so be wary of that because, again, I know books are trying to get action on both sides, but it feels like, man, they want you to take Bama, which makes me think that this game may be a little bit closer uh, than many project it to be. Now, in terms of the game itself, listen, I talked a little bit about this on the Aaron Torres pod on Monday. What this game really comes down to is which Alabama shows up and who is the real Alabama? Because, spoiler alert, 
Hate to ruin the playoff for you, but if the Alabama that showed up that played Georgia in the SEC championship game shows up for the two games in this playoffs, it's an over, it's over, it's a wrap. There is no chance that anybody is beating Alabama playing the way that they played against Georgia in that SEC championship game. And so part of the games, not only the game against Cincinnati, but a potential national championship game against either Georgia or Michigan is the idea of who is the real Alabama? Because if that Alabama that played Georgia showed up, nobody's beating them. But the question becomes, was that who Alabama really is? Or was it just a perfect storm scenario for Nick Saban where he could spend all week long in the lead up to that game saying, hey, guys, guess what? Nobody believes in us. Everyone thinks we're going to get destroyed. Go out and prove the world's wrong. And I will say that coming into this game, the combination of the fact that I have not been a huge Bama believer all year long, much to my chagrin in that SEC championship game, by the way, on top of the fact that this point spread has not moved since it opened at 13 and a half, two and a half weeks ago, it makes me do believe that Alabama, maybe the Alabama that we saw in the SEC championship game, isn't really the real Alabama. And the Alabama that we saw over the first 13, 14 weeks of the season, if you include bye weeks, that's the real Alabama. And I'll be honest, I tend to think that is at least partially the case. I don't think you can get that much better over the course of a week, over the course of five or six practices, the way that Alabama did after that Auburn game, you know, between the end of the Auburn game and the end of the Georgia game. I just don't believe that you can get that much better in that short of an amount of time. And really, the, the second half of the season reflects exactly that. And it's something that I've talked about a ton on this show, but it is worth noting is you go through and look at Alabama over the course of really the entire season, but certainly the second half of the season, there's a lot of duds, right? Two-point win at Florida. Florida ends up firing Dan Mullen. Florida misses a two-point conversion to end the game that would have tied it and sent it to overtime. Uh, you lose to AM. No shame there. AM's a good program. The Tennessee game, it goes into the fourth quarter, a one-possession game before you pull away late. And then here are Alabama's final three SEC games going into that conference championship. Six-point win against LSU in a game that, oh, by the way, LSU held Alabama to six yards rushing. Uh, a a seven-point win over Arkansas, and a two-point win in double overtime against Auburn. And so to me, that is probably closer to who Alabama really is than who they played, uh, who they were against Georgia. And now what becomes interesting is what can Cincinnati do about it? And when it comes to Cincinnati, I know a lot of you guys and girls probably did not watch a ton of them during the course of the offseason. I will tell you this, I don't even know if this is Cincinnati's best team under Luke Fickle, as weird as it sounds. They were probably as good or better last year, as good or more dominant last year. Uh, this was not a dominant team in the group of five. I mean, that's the kind of thing that stands out to me, is that they really, to their credit, they won all their games, but they really took advantage of some other chaos in other sports, in other spots in the sport. Uh, they had the head-to-head -head win over Notre Dame, which mattered more and more as the season went on. But Clemson falling apart in the ACC certainly helped Cincinnati. Oregon falling apart in the Pac-12 certainly helped Cincinnati. Oklahoma State being a yard short of a Big 12 championship against Baylor certainly helped Cincinnati. And so I just bring it up because this is far from a dominant team, but I do think there is a blueprint for Cincinnati to keep this game close. And you know what it is? I think you have to get pressure on Bryce Young and make him make mistakes, make Alabama make mistakes. And that's not a criticism of Bryce Young. He was the best player in college football this year. He was a deserving Heisman Trophy winner. I do not have a Heisman vote, but if I did, I would have absolutely given it to Bryce Young. 
But if you watch that Georgia game, he just had so much time in the pocket. He was allowed to get comfortable. And I don't think Cincinnati can allow Bryce Young to stay comfortable the way that he was. And I don't think that they will. One, because virtually everybody other than Georgia did have success getting pressure on Bryce Young, uh, including Auburn in that Iron Bowl. But two, this is the blueprint, I believe, for Cincinnati to win or at least keep it close, probably more keep it close than to win. I would absolutely never predict Alabama actually beating Cincinnati or, or Cincinnati absolutely beating Alabama. But what I will say, Cincinnati does one thing exceptionally well that I don't think has been talked about enough in the lead up to this, this semifinal game against the Bearcats. Cincinnati led college football in total takeaways. And to me, this is what this game comes down to, right? Because Georgia was great in every defensive category, run defense, pass defense, uh, scoring defense, total defense, whatever. But the one thing that Georgia really didn't do a ton this year was take the ball away from people, and Alabama took advantage of it. They, they had a 2-0 advantage in turnovers. In other words, Alabama forced two turnovers, Georgia forced 4-0. Well, the one thing that Cincinnati does better than anybody in college football, they force 33 total turnovers. That was number one in the country. And on top of that, they had 18 total interceptions, which was number three in the country behind only Iowa and only, uh, only Iowa and only Western Kentucky. And so the question to me now becomes, can Cincinnati make those plays force Alabama into bad spots, and force Alabama into turnovers. Now, to Alabama's credit, they don't turn the ball over a ton, and they are nearly as good in terms of turnover margin as Cincinnati is. Cincinnati finishes number two in the country in turnover margin. Alabama number 14 in the country in turnover margin. Uh, Alabama had just, in terms of total, uh, you know, total turnovers, they had just 10 on the season. So it's not as though it's going to be easy, but that to me is the blueprint. That is how Cincinnati can and has to keep it close is by forcing turnovers on Alabama. On the other side of the ball, this is where it gets tricky, and this is where I have trouble wrapping my head around Cincinnati winning this game. Um, and by the way, if Cincinnati does not win this game and Cincinnati maybe loses by, I don't know, 21 or 28 points, can we stop, by the way, with the, uh, uh, they didn't even belong in the first place. Uh, first of all, Notre Dame's got blown out in the college football playoff. Clemson lost by 21 points in last year's college football playoff. Uh, Ohio State's got blown out in the college football playoff. I was at their game against Clemson where they lost 31 to nothing. So let's not do the whole Cincinnati didn't belong if they get, if, if they get blown out. But where my concern with Cincinnati comes in, um, this isn't a very explosive offense, and I know that there's been talk of Desmond Ritter, their starting quarterback, being a first-round pick, but to me, that is also why the turnovers are so important when it comes from Cincinnati's perspective. It's because of the fact that they are not a super explosive offense, okay? They finished 57th in the country in total offense, 49th in the country in rushing, 53rd in passing, and if you look at most of their games, uh, you know, they, they didn't put up a ton of points. 27 points at Navy, uh, 31 against Tulane, 28 against Tulsa, and then later on in the year, they faced some more inferior competition, were able to put up a few more points, but this is not a super explosive offense. And so to me with Cincinnati, what this game ultimately comes down to is ball control, is defense, is keeping the ball away from Alabama, and most importantly, can you make those one to two to three plays where an Alabama drive ends in a turnover for Cincinnati? And if it doesn't, if it's Alabama plus two, plus three in turnover margin, they're going to win going away. Let's get to the second game. Late night with Harbaugh and Kirby. Rocking New Year's Eve with Harbaugh and Kirby. That's right, 7.30 Eastern time in Miami at the Orange Bowl. We have Michigan facing Georgia. 
And what's interesting about this game is very similar to what I just said a minute ago as it pertained to, um, to the Alabama-Cincinnati game is that this number opened at a very interesting betting point, and it has not moved. Michigan opened as a 7.5-point underdog, Georgia as a 7.5-point favorite, and per David Purdom, again from ESPN, according to BetMGM, 74%, three out of four bets are coming in on Michigan, 68% of the money is coming in on Michigan because of the fact that it's a great number. If you believe Michigan can win this game outright or at least keep it close, you're getting more than a touchdown as an underdog. And so that is what kind of concerns me if I was a little bit, uh, you know, if, if I loved Michigan in this game, is that that number is so juicy, so good, so spicy, that you have to worry a little bit, is Vegas trying to trick me into taking Michigan? Now, in terms of the games itself, uh, you know, a couple thoughts here. One, uh, again, something I talked about a little bit on the podcast, uh, you know, my own podcast, the Aaron Torres podcast on Monday, is the first kind of just big picture thought outside of just betting and numbers and matchups and whatever. How does the time off affect both teams? Because I think you can argue it has an inverse effect on both teams. First of all, from Georgia's perspective, I'll say this. Look, we saw the SEC championship game. It was a bloodbath. It was bad. It was embarrassing. It was ugly. What I would also say is, I thought Kirby Smart handled it really well after, after the game. And we can criticize Kirby for this, and we can criticize Kirby for that, and we can argue that he's this or that he's that, and if he doesn't win a championship, what does it mean? And how much? Like, I thought he handled the post game of the Alabama really well. He could have freaked out. He could have yelled. He could have screamed. He said, look, we lost to a better team. I'm not worried. I trust Stetson Bennett. I believe he is the right answer here at quarterback for my team. And I feel really good about this team going forward. I don't know if he really believes that. I don't know what he said to the guys in the locker room. I don't know what he said to his assistant coaches when the game ended, but it was the right message to have. And I do wonder if Georgia kind of now has that little, weirdly, they're a little weight off their shoulders in terms of the idea of, okay, maybe we're not a great historic team like everybody was making us out to be. Maybe it isn't us and everybody else this year, but we're still in it. We're still one of four, and we still got a shot to bring home that ultimate prize, uh, that skinny trophy. My buddy Chris Plank, who covers uh, Oklahoma, calls it the skinny trophy. But Georgia's still in position to do that. I, uh, so I think the time off for Georgia probably worked out really well for them. I think you can also argue the opposite for Michigan. I think you can argue that there wasn't a single team in college football that probably did not want to break more than Michigan. I mean, think about it. You have the signature win of the Jim Harbaugh era back on Thanksgiving weekend against Ohio State. You go in, you dominate, you kick the butt, 40, 42 to 28, I believe, was the final score. You run all over them, 500 yards of total offense. Everybody expects you to have a letdown against Iowa. Instead, oh, what happens? You put up 42 points and dominate and go away running away. And so I just bring that up because I do wonder, you know, if you gave Jim Harbaugh some truth serum, I bet he probably says, you know what? I wish we could have played that next weekend because we were rocking and rolling and maybe this three-week pause slows them down. Now, in terms of the game itself, what I will say uh, is, you know, I, I do think that there are, I, what I would say is just big picture, I think there are interesting matchups on both sides of the football for both teams as it pertains to. And again, part of this is looking at this game through the prism of the point spread where Georgia is expected to win. First of all, from Georgia's perspective, defensively, when Michigan has the football, if you do like Georgia, it's for one simple reason. 
it is, and, and to even backtrack, I think everybody knows, but the fun part about this game, just old school, physical, tough lineup in the trenches, hitting, you know, back and forth, you know, pounding helmets like the old days, three yards in a cloud of dust. But when I look at this game, I will say, um, if you do like Georgia, the reason why is obvious. The one thing that Alabama was able to take advantage of, Michigan really can't and won't. And if you watch that SEC championship game, and I know you all did, uh, in that game, Alabama went tempo, and Alabama was able to move the ball, and Alabama put Georgia's defense on its heels, and, Al and Georgia wasn't able to substitute, and Georgia, their big guys up front, Jordan Davis, they were sucking wind by the middle of the second quarter, and the game was essentially over from there. So if you like Georgia, what you're essentially saying is, if it is a battle in the trenches, then guess what? I like our guys versus their guys, and the one thing that Alabama did to exploit Georgia, Michigan can't do. Also worth mentioning, and I love Cade McNamara. I've defended Cade McNamara, but he ain't Bryce Young. And Bryce Young can stretch the field. Bryce Young had Jamison Williams. Bryce Young in the SEC Championship game had John Mechie, although he's obviously not available for this college football playoff. And that is one thing that Michigan does not have. They are not a super vertical, super deep passing team, and they're going to have to run the ball directly at the best defensive front that they have seen all year. What I would also say, though, is, and I've seen a little bit of this, and I think it's a little bit of SEC bias and all that, but I have seen a little bit of this, well, uh, well you know, uh, Michigan, yeah, a great season, but they haven't seen anybody like Georgia all year long up front. What I would say is, look, Georgia's got the best personnel on defense in college football. Yeah, maybe you could debate it. Maybe you could debate Clemson. Maybe you could debate Alabama. Maybe you could debate Michigan. I would say Georgia has the best defensive personnel in all of college football. But what I cannot argue, what I will not argue, is this. Michigan's played some really good defenses too, okay? Because here's the thing. There was one defense that was basically, statistically, actually better than Georgia in basically every category in college football this year. That was Michigan. And since uh, Michigan, or that was Wisconsin, excuse me. I think I said Michigan. That was Wisconsin. Well, guess who Michigan beat in Madison 38 to 17, put up 38 points on them. It was Wisconsin. Now, I get that Wisconsin had some turnovers late. I watched that game. Uh, it was, uh, I think it was uh, 20 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. Michigan puts up a bunch of points off turnovers. But the bottom line is, Michigan has played really good defenses. Put up 38 points against Wisconsin, which finished number one in total defense. Put up 42 points last game against an Iowa team that ranked in the top 15 in total defense. Oh, by the way, one at Penn State, which was a top 30 defense this season. Top 35, technically, who's counting? The point I'm trying to make, it's not like they haven't played anybody, and their biggest games were on the road, too. It's not like they had this weird schedule where everything broke right and all the big games were at home. Yes, they got Ohio State at home, but they had to go to Wisconsin. They had to go to Penn State. They had to play Iowa on a neutral field. They had to go to Nebraska, which we know Nebraska was a talented team, even if the results didn't work out well. So don't tell me that Michigan hasn't played anybody. They're not going to be able to run the ball because it's Georgia. Well, Michigan ran the ball in Wisconsin, and Michigan ran the ball in Iowa. And I'm not saying Michigan's going to put up 500 yards of total offense, but I do think they'll be able to move the ball. And what's equally interesting to me is the idea of what happens when Georgia has the ball against that Michigan defensive front. Because when I look at this game, what I think is especially interesting is this. You guys, if you've listened to my work on the Aaron Torres pod, on this pod, on Aaron Torres online, if you've listened to my radio show, if you follow me on Twitter... What I would say about this game specifically is I do think not having that JT Daniels security blanket as I record here, he's still in COVID protocols, not expected to be back for this game. 
I do worry about Stetson Bennett. And what I would say is that it, it does appear, by the way, that, that JT Daniels is with the team. It is unsure if he'll play. And I should mention, by the way, uh, that is an update literally as I'm recording here. And I should mention, by the way, uh, J- uh, Kirby Smart said after the game that he trusts Stetson Bennett after the SEC Championship game, so I don't know that we'll see JT Daniels anyways. But if you listen to anything that I've done, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I do not believe you can win a national championship with Stetson Bennett. And why I would be concerned if I was a Georgia fan is this, is that Michigan has great defensive personnel, and certainly, I would argue, probably the best defensive line in college football outside of maybe Georgia. Why is that important? It is because all season long, Georgia only played two teams that had personnel anywhere close to as good as what Michigan has on Friday. They faced Clemson in the first game and Alabama in the most recent game in the SEC Championship game. Well, do you remember what happened with Georgia's defense in those games? Against Clemson, they win 10-3. Clemson, the only score that Georgia had uh, besides a field goal, the only touchdown that Georgia had in that game, it was a pick six. Zero offensive points against Clemson. Alabama? A week ago, a game ago, about three weeks ago, they put up 24, but seven of them were late, really only had 17 points when it mattered most. And so I understand why the money is coming in on Michigan. I understand why you would be concerned and think that Vegas wants you to take take Michigan in this game. What I'm just telling you is there's a very compelling argument to be made that not only can Michigan keep this close, that Michigan can win this game, Uh, This is the best defensive personnel that Georgia has seen, except for Clemson and Alabama all year. They struggle to move the ball against both those teams. Uh, And I do think Michigan will be able to move the ball against this Georgia defense because I think they've seen really good defenses throughout the season. So what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. And when I come back, I'm just going to rip through the rest of these games. And some of them are going to be two minutes. Some of them are going to be a minute. Some of them are going to be five minutes. We'll see what happens. We'll see where things take us. We'll start with the Holiday Bowl on Wednesday night. We'll move forward from there, ending with the Sugar Bowl on Saturday night in New Orleans. Kiffin versus Aranda. We'll be right back. All right, we're going to get to the rest of the bowl games in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings has been with us all fall long since the preseason when we thought Clemson was great when we thought Michigan stunk when we thought Cincinnati was just a plucky little group of five team well here we are bowl season is here and they have an incredible offer for first-time users and listeners of college football betting with Aaron Torres all you got to do make a five dollar money line bet on any team so just pick a winner pick a loser Alabama you think they're beating Cincinnati bet five dollars on them if that team wins you win an automatic $200 in free bets via our partners at DraftKings Sportsbook. That's right, $5 money line. Pick a winner. If that team wins, $200 in free cash. Here's how it works. First of all, click the link in the show description. So you're subscribed to this show on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, whatever. There's a link. Go there, click it, and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit, okay? First deposit, minimum $5. You got to make your first deposit. It has to be your first deposit with the DraftKings Sportsbook. Bet $5 on any team. And if that team wins, you get an automatic $200 thanks to our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best offer in sports betting going. Perfect for bowl season. You're sitting home. You're doing nothing. You're on the couch $5, first-time users, DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best deal going. 
If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Or call or text Tennessee Red Line 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter. 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit. Minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And uh, first of all, thank you again to our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings will be with us all spring long, all summer long. They are great. Love what they do. And again, just an incredible offer. First time users, if you've never used DraftKings before, click the link in the show description. Bet $5 on any college football team, any bowl game this bowl season. If the team wins, you get $200 in free bets. Five bucks on Bama nets you $200 as long as they beat Cincinnati. With that said, uh, let's switch gears and let's just get to the rest of these games uh, during bowl season. What I would say is a couple things. One, um, first of all, what I would even say before this is, again, a caveat. You don't need me to tell you, but be cautious betting bowl games. Not saying don't bet them. Not saying don't bet them. What I am saying is be very cautious, though, because obviously this stuff is evolving and changing throughout the day with the COVID policies, with opt-outs, with opt-ins. As I just said a minute ago, JT Daniels literally was cleared to play as I was recording this show. And so I bring it up because this stuff is going to be constantly evolving, and there is kind of the want-to factor, will factor, all that good stuff. But what I want to do over the next probably 15 or so minutes is just rip through all of the rest of the games of bowl season, starting with Tuesday night ending with Saturday night with the Sugar Bowl. Uh, I am recording here on Tuesday afternoon during the Birmingham Bowl. I'll go ahead and skip the First Responders Bowl, Air Force, and Louisville. If you are itching for information on that, I hope you got it before you downloaded this show. Also, the Liberty Bowl with Mississippi State and Texas Tech. It feels like everybody is on Mississippi State minus nine and a half. Keep in mind, Mike Leach formerly coached at Mississippi State or coached at Texas Tech. He says they owe them money. He says that, that Texas Tech owes him money, and he is coming for revenge in this one. So those two I will skip, and we'll just go to tonight. We'll start with the Holiday Bowl. We'll go through every game, and like I said, really quick, I'll try to get you any key opt-outs, anything you need to know, any important matchups, but this is a fun bowl season it's a fun time of year and let's just get to some of these games and let's start with the holiday bowl ucla against nc state tuesday night fox uh in san diego really fun game i've actually been to it many times and it's just an awesome game awesome atmosphere fun place i'm sure nc state fans are having the time of their lives in san diego this week the spread is nc state minus two and a half it was at minus two i should mention by the way all of my picks are up at aarontorresonline.com did not make a pick for all of these games, but this is one that I did. I got NC State at minus two. It is now two and a half, and it's for one very simple reason. If you've listened to this podcast since about week two, week three, week four, after UCLA beat LSU, what did I tell you? I said the numbers tell us one thing on, L on UCLA. They do two things really well and two things really poorly. 
they run the ball really effectively, and they stop the run really effectively, and they do not pass the ball, and they cannot stop the pass. And if you can stop the run, in other words, stop them on offense, and you can pass the ball when you have the ball against their defense, you're probably going to have success. It's how Fresno State beat them. It's how Arizona State beat them. It's how uh, all these teams that beat UCLA all had the same blueprint. Well, guess what? NC State does two things really well. They are number 19 in the country in pass offense. So that UCLA pass defense, 110th nationally, that's abysmal, that gives up a million points and yards through the air. NC State ranks number 19 in the country in pass offense. Four 300-plus yard passing games in the last five games for Devin Leary, the starting quarterback at NC State. UCLA, it's worth noting, had a few opt-outs on the defensive side of the football. That pass defense is going to be without its best cornerback in this game. Uh, and oh, by the way, NC State also has a great run defense, which I believe will slow down Dorian Thompson-Robinson and this UCLA offense. NC State minus two feels like the right side. Don't tell you how to bet, but that is the side that I would be on. Late night, stay up late, 10-15, 10-30 Eastern time, the guaranteed rate bowl in Phoenix. That's right. The game you'll be telling your grandkids about 30 years from now, West Virginia against Minnesota. Okay, maybe you won't be telling them about it. The spread, Minnesota minus five, the over under 44 and a half. Two important things that you need to know for this game. The first off, uh, West Virginia's best player has opted out. Leedy Brown, their running back, 1,000-yard rusher. He was basically their bell cow, you know, workhorse back. He did all of the heavy lifting in the run game. He has opted out to prepare for the NFL draft. And then there's kind of another interesting plot twist that is worth noting if you're thinking of taking either side in this game. And this is one where I absolutely have no strong opinion on. Uh, Kirk Soraka is a guy that you need to know in this game. Some of you probably know who he is, and some of you are probably sitting there saying, I've never heard that name before. Kirk Soraka was Minnesota's offensive coordinator the year that they blew up back in 2019 when they won 11 games. They won 11-2. It was the first time in like 100 years that they had won 11 games. Uh, he leaves. He goes to Penn State last year during the 2020 pandemic season, gets fired at Penn State this offseason, spent the last year as West Virginia's uh, offensive analyst with the West Virginia football program. Why do I bring it up? It's because after the off, uh, after the season, you know what Minnesota needed? A new offensive coordinator. You know who they called? Kirk Soraka. So a guy that has been working for West Virginia all year is now Minnesota's offensive coordinator. My understanding is with he was he was with Minnesota for bowl prep. And so if you want a little bit of a nugget, a little bit of a spicy meatball of a tip there. An offensive analyst at West Virginia was hired as Minnesota's new offensive coordinator this offseason, and so you'd have to think it'd be advantage for West for, for Minnesota in this game against West Virginia, although I, again, have no strong opinions about it. Speaking of no strong opinions, I mean, you talk about a game that I have zero opinion on. Uh, the first game Wednesday morning, or Wednesday afternoon, really, the first game of the day was canceled. That was the Fenway Bowl, Virginia versus SMU. The second game... It is the Pinstripe Bowl, Virginia Tech versus Maryland. And as I said, when you talk about a game that I just have no opinion on, no feeling for at all, this is it. Maryland finishes the season 6-6. Six and six. They beat Rutgers the final day of the regular season. Uh, by the way, they started out 4-0 and with one Big Ten win. Uh, they did beat West Virginia, ironically. Finished 2-6 and six down the stretch. The only wins, a three-point win at home against Indiana, and a win on the final day of the season against Rutgers. Again, 
No real strong opinions about this. Obviously, Tua's brother is the starting quarterback at, at Maryland. 68% completion percentage, 24 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Virginia Tech was. They were one team that really has been ravaged by opt-outs uh, and players deciding to leave their program. And the most significant opt-out for the team was their starting quarterback, Braxton Burmeister. Braxton Burmeister decided in the offseason there was a coaching change at Virginia Tech. That is also worth noting. Justin Fuente was fired. Brent Pry, the former Penn State defensive coordinator, is in. Uh, and so because of it, Virginia Tech has a new coach. They had a bunch of guys opt out. And their starting quarterback, Braxton Burmeister, has entered the transfer portal Beyond him, in addition to Braxton Burmeister, uh, also worth noting that their top receiver, Trey Turner, is not part of this game. Uh, defensive end, Amare Bardo, who had five and a half TFLs, three sacks. Jordan Williams, three and a half sacks. They are all out for this game. Maryland is a... Again, a three-and-a-half-point favorite over under set at 54-and-a-half. No strong opinions, but Virginia has been ravaged by opt-outs. New coaching staff. Don't really know what you're going to get from this one. Kind of a really interesting one later in the day. The Cheez-It Bowl, baby. Bath full of Cheez-Its if you win this one. Clemson is playing Iowa State. Clemson opened or was a one-point favorite earlier this week. It is now up to two-and-a-half. And what is very interesting to me about this game is this. I think when you think about this game, the natural assumption is that, oh, Clemson has nothing to play for. They're not going to care. They don't want to be here. They were supposed to be a playoff team. They were supposed to be an ACC champion. They're neither. They're not going to a big bowl game. They don't want to be at the Cheez-It Bowl. It's actually the opposite. Clemson has had zero opt-outs, and all week long, their players have talked about how important it is to finish strong in this game, how important it is to the program, how we don't opt out of bowl games at Clemson. That's not what we're about. And I will say, this is kind of a circle the wagons moment for Dabo Sweeney. We know that he lost his offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott. We know that he lost his defensive coordinator, Brent Venables. But what is also important is that I truly believe that the guys that are in the program, and they have had some transfers, but the guys that are in that program believe the message that Dabo Sweeney is delivering. And it's also worth noting for all the criticism, uh, for all the talk about how terrible this program is and how much it's falling apart, they finished the regular season 9-3. and three. They won uh, seven of their final eight games. The only loss was to pit the eventual ACC champ with a first-round pick at quarterback in Kenny Pickett. Um, and in their final five games, they scored 30-plus points. And so that Clemson team is coming to this bowl game to win it and to kind of restore the Clemson name going into next year, not telling you how to bet. Iowa State, of course, it's a little bit of a disappointing year, but it's also worth noting with Iowa State, uh, they did have a marquee opt-out. Brees Hall, their All-American running back, has decided to opt-out and prepare for the draft. Brees Hall, of course, was phenomenal this year. 1,400 yards rushing, 20 touchdowns. No one on the team had more than two rushing touchdowns all season. No running back had more than 132 yards rushing besides Brees Hall. He was that running game. He is not in that game. Don't tell you how to bet, but that money is coming in hard on Clemson. Late night on Wednesday now. We're still on Wednesday. And this one's another interesting one. The Alamo Bowl. This is Oregon versus Oklahoma. This is what a lot of people are calling the interim bowl. As Lincoln Riley, of course, left Oklahoma, Mario Cristobal leaves Oregon, and you have these two programs kind of reeling, trying to regain their footing off of what is ultimately, I think we could all agree, a disappointing season. 
Oregon beats Ohio State early in the year. We think they're winning the Pac-12 and going to the playoff. They're in the Alamo Bowl without their coach. Oklahoma at one point was 9-0, finished 1-2, and and Lincoln Riley bounces for USC. And there's a couple really important things here. I mean, one, there, there's the, the coaching turnover. Two, there's obviously marquee roster turnover as well, okay? First of all, from Oregon's perspective, they are down between injuries, opt-outs, and transfers close to 30 players from the start of the season. They have about 57, 58 players healthy enough to play in this game. A guy from the former coaching staff under Mario Cristobal is still coaching this game. Um, But I bring it up because of the fact that they are down 30-plus players from the start of the season. I've seen some Oregon reporters say it's like covering an NFL practice because there's so few bodies. Uh, You know, the notable ones there, obviously Kayvon Thibodeau is not part of this game. Beyond that, uh, you know, Michael Wright, their top cornerback, and Devin Williams, the top wide receiver. And really, between injuries and uh, Devin Williams opting out, three of the top four receivers are not playing in this game. But let's also not claim that Oklahoma isn't dealing with some personnel turnover as well. Uh, Spencer Rattler is out. We know Austin Stogner, the top tight end, transferred with Spencer Rattler to South Carolina. Jaden Hazelwood, who led Oklahoma in receptions this year, has transferred out to Arkansas. But what I also think will be interesting is the guys that are still there, right? Because, you know, I think when Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, I think we all thought, what is the next domino? Caleb Williams is going to follow him. Caleb Williams is going somewhere else. Caleb Williams is not staying at Oklahoma. Well, he's in this game, and every piece of information that I have is that he is playing Wednesday night in San Antonio for the Oklahoma Sooners against Oregon. And to me, again, we don't know who's hyped up and who isn't and who wants to be there and who doesn't. But what is worth noting is a couple things. Is first off, when it comes to this game, I do think that, one, uh, the personnel does matter. And I I should mention, by the way, Oklahoma had a few opt-outs as well, especially along the defensive front. Uh, Their top three defensive linemen, linebacker, guys that led the team in sacks have all opted out of this game. But I only bring it up because I also look at motivation and not only who wants to be there, but how their previous coach left. And when I look at these two teams, I think that is important for this game. Um, Oklahoma... I believe, was blindsided by the Lincoln-Riley situation, right? I don't believe any of those players came out of that bedlam game on that Saturday night thinking their coach was leaving the next day. And I think the fact that most of those guys stayed, that Caleb Williams stayed, that Marvin Mims, the top wide receiver, led the team in receiving yards, Jaden Hazelwood leading a receiver, uh, receiving yards, Marvin Mims. A lot of people thought he was going to enter the portal. He decided to stay. Caleb Williams decided to stay. Theo Wees, who was one of their top receivers two years ago but was injured this year, entered the portal, and came back out and returned to Oklahoma. I think that says that those guys believe in Oklahoma, the brand, and Oklahoma, the program, and I think they want to represent it well. Oregon, on the other hand, Mario Cristobal, a much, in some ways, cleaner departure, met with the team, explained why, but I think it's going to be tough for those guys to get up going from, uh, you know, from Mario Cristobal. He's no longer there. It's worth noting their coach, their new coach, Dan Landing, is now with Georgia getting ready for that playoff. And so I look at this game, and I really do believe that Oklahoma probably has a little bit more to play for. Not saying uh, that they necessarily win, but I do think that is worth noting there. Let's get to Thursday. I'll start going a little bit faster on these because this, this episode's getting a little bit long. Duke's Mayo Bowl, 11.30 Eastern, uh, North Carolina versus South Carolina, and this one should be a good crowd there in Charlotte. North Carolina is a nine and a half point favorite. I think there's a few things worth noting here. One, 
Sam Howell is playing for North Carolina. I think that's probably a little bit of a surprise to people. Sam Howell, a projected first-round pick at quarterback, he will play in this game. It's actually South Carolina who was ravaged by opt-outs as leading rushers to Quandre White, over six, almost 600 yards rushing, one of their top defensive linemen, have opted out of the game. And it's also worth noting, South Carolina... Like I mentioned a minute ago with Virginia Tech, their starting quarterback is now in the transfer portal. A kid named Jason Brown, he transferred in this year, and when Spencer Rattler committed to South Carolina, he saw the writing on the wall. So Zeb Noland, the starting uh, quarterback who, of course, was the kid who was the grad transfer, began the year as a grad transfer, had one year of eligibility left, and he actually came onto the team and was a backup quarterback. He will be starting in this bowl game, so do with that information as you please. North Carolina, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. You have Sam Howell, a, a potential number one pick, versus Zeb Noland, uh, a guy who was a GA to start the season. Thursday afternoon, Music City Bowl, 3 p.m. Eastern. Tennessee is playing Purdue. Tennessee is a six-point favorite. And listen, what I would say is this, is that I do think that sometimes when it comes to these bowl games and the talk about who cares, who wants to be there, who doesn't, this, that, the other thing, I do think there are times where that talk is overrated. I don't think that is the case with Tennessee, though. I think Tennessee is the perfect example of the team that will be fired up to be in this bowl game for a few different reasons. First of all, you just have to go back to a year ago. Go back to this time last year, Jeremy Pruitt's under fire, Jeremy Pruitt gets fired in early January, and I think there are a lot of kids that are in this program that didn't know what their future held. They didn't know what the future of this program was, Tennessee fans did not know what the future of this program was, and so the fact that they're in a bowl game period is exciting, the fact that the bowl game is in-state in Nashville is exciting, and I think with Hendon Hooker returning... I think this is kind of a great statement game to build momentum for the 2022 season where I think Tennessee is going to come in with real expectations. Are they going to beat Georgia? No. But in a down year for Florida, uh, South Carolina still building, Tennessee just beat Kentucky, I think there's going to be talk about Tennessee finishing second in the SEC East next year. And so this is the game that builds momentum for them. It's also worth noting on the other side for Purdue, and I love Purdue, I love Jeff Brom, but you know, the entire offense was based around David Bell, their star wide receiver who's going to be a first-round pick, okay? David Bell finished the season with 93 catches. Uh, and if my math is correct here, I'm looking it up really quick as I record here. Uh, Purdue quarterbacks completed a total of 381 passes, and 93 of them went to David Bell, which means that more than 25 to 30% of their completed passes went to a guy that has opted out of this game. I just don't know if Purdue's able to move the ball. I like Tennessee. I like Tennessee to win. This was five and a half on, I guess it would have been uh, Tuesday or Monday when I wrote my picks column. It is now up to six, and I think it's going to continue to go up as we get closer to the game. One game, I will tell you, I'm just completely staying away from, and I think you'll know why once I talk about it. It's that, it's that Fiesta Bowl, Pitt and Michigan State, two teams that had incredible seasons, and two teams that the reason they had incredible seasons, that player has opted out. Uh, Michigan State has no Kenneth Walker. Pittsburgh has no Kenny Pickett, who might be the first quarterback taken off the board. It's also worth noting that Kenny Pickett basically opted out because his offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, decided to take the offensive coordinator job at Nebraska. Pitt is a three-point underdog. Michigan State, a three-point favorite over under 56 and a half. I don't even know how you begin to handicap this game. The star player on each team is out. This is just one I am just staying as far away from as I can. Interesting one in Vegas. The Vegas Bowl late 
Thursday night, 10.30 Eastern time, Wisconsin playing Arizona, okay? Wisconsin is a six-point favorite, or Arizona State, excuse me. Wisconsin is a six-point favorite. Over, under is 41. I'll tell you guys a fun story. I, I shared it in my picks column a few days ago. For people who don't know me, I go to Vegas a lot. I live in California, and I go to Vegas about three or four times a year. And, you know, everybody has different ways to blow off steam. Uh, some guys golf. Some guys ski. I basically just go to Vegas, sit in a sports book, and watch games all day. That's how I relax. That's how I have fun. Why do I bring it up? There was one time about three, four years ago, I was in Vegas, Sunday afternoon, NFL football, rocking and rolling, and everywhere I look, Packers jersey, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, uh, uh, Devontae Adams. Everybody's wearing a Packers jersey. And so I asked one of the women at this sports book that I was sitting at, I said, uh, excuse me, miss, you know, cocktail waitress, whatever. I said, is this a Packers bar? Like, like why are there so... She goes, you know, Wisconsin people love Vegas. Wisconsin is the number two most visited state in Vegas outside of California. California is a short four-hour car ride away. California is a clear number one. Wisconsin is number two. I bring all that up to say, I don't know if that story is true or not. What I will tell you is, though, there will be a lot of Wisconsin red in Vegas, and I just think this matchup really favors them. I mentioned it earlier in the show in the college football playoff section. Wisconsin's defense statistically was better than Georgia's in a lot of categories. Arizona State's offense really struggled with Jaden Daniels. Also worth noting, Arizona State's top running back, Rashad White, has opted out. They actually had another running back opt out. He has transferred. He's going to Ohio State as a linebacker. So you're down two of your top three running backs. Uh, Jaden Daniels, I don't trust. This is a, I will say Arizona State plays real defense. Maybe 41, the under is the right play, but I do like Wisconsin minus six. Let's go to Friday, uh, Chris, uh, New Year's Eve. There's only one game on Friday besides the college football playoff. Uh, that is that that Sun Bowl, Washington State versus Central Michigan. Washington State's a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. I have no opinion on this. I mean, these two teams basically uh, were matched up on Monday night when Boise State had to opt out of the uh, – or had to pull out of the Barstool Bowl. Obviously, Washington State was set to play Miami. Miami had to opt out of this game for COVID protocols as well. I have no strong opinions on this one. If you want to bet it, be my guest. Use my DraftKings promo. But for the love of God, I have no idea how to bet that game. Two semifinals are – uh, Christmas or New Year's Eve on Friday. Let's get to Saturday. Uh, and just we'll rip through these games. Penn State is a one-point underdog against Arkansas. Arkansas, a one-point favorite. Worth noting, a lot of opt-outs in this game. Uh, Arkansas, Traylon Burks, their best wide receiver, has opted out. But what I would say is this. Penn State is down a million guys in this game, okay? Jahan Dotson, superstar wide receiver, 91 catches, is out. All Big Ten safety, Jaquan Brisker, out. Two top linebackers, Brandon Smith and Ellis Brooks, out. This line has not moved at all. I think it was Penn State minus one, and now it's Arkansas minus one. Maybe it moves over the course of this week. By the way, if you're an Arkansas fan, we got a lot of Arkansas fans listening. If, you can, if you're in a state where you can gamble legally, I know you can't yet in Arkansas. Bet that $5 on the Hogs, baby. Or if you're, a Penn, if you're in Pennsylvania, bet $5 on the, the Penn State Nittany Lions. But I just bring it up to say Penn State has lost a million guys, and this line really hasn't moved, which I find kind of interesting. Uh, later on, on New Year's Day, Oklahoma State-Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Again, just a game I have no opinion on. I would love to, spit, to sit here and lie to you and pretend I have all sorts of fun facts and nuggets on this one. But here's the bottom line. 
Notre Dame, first year head coach or first game with Marcus Freeman as their head coach. Their top player on offense, Kyron Williams, is out, opted out. Top player on defense, Kyle Hamilton, is opted out. Uh, but you're also facing an Oklahoma State team that lost its its defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, who is now the new Ohio State defensive coordinator. No strong opinions on this one. I'd probably lean Oklahoma State plus the points, but really no strong opinions on this one. Speaking of no strong opinions, uh, Kentucky, Iowa, in uh, I guess it would be the uh, Citrus Bowl in Orlando. Uh, I, I know there's going to be a ton of Kentucky fans there. I know there's going to be a ton of Iowa fans there. Kentucky's a three-point favorite. Over-under is 44. I guess what would concern me about this one, Kentucky turns the ball over at an astronomical rate. Uh, at one point, they were the worst team in the country in turnover margin. Guess who led the country in interceptions? It is Iowa. Iowa will be without its star running back, Tyler Goodson. As weird as it sounds, that over-under of 44, that under might be the right play in this one. Really quickly, uh, last two. We got the uh, we got the uh, we got the uh, Rose Bowl. No big deal. About uh, two minutes from where I'm I'm sitting right now. Now I'll be hosting Fox Sports Radio, so I cannot attend the game. But Ohio State, a four point favorite over Utah. It's worth noting. It, Utah was a six and a half point favorite on Monday when I bet them. It is down to four and a half, and the reason why is pretty simple. Ohio State had a bunch of guys opt out of this game. Now I don't know that I necessarily believe that this is a game that oh Ohio State doesn't care to be there. I think Ohio State cares, and, and you know when we talk about this care factor thing, I think it's important to note, yeah, Ohio State had a bunch of guys opt out, but you know what that means? There's a bunch of new five stars that are replacing the old five stars that are now getting their first real shot at playing time. And so the idea that Ohio State is not excited to be here, first of all, it's the Rose Bowl. Second of all, C.J. Stroud's from Southern California, so you know he's excited. Third of all, uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, their top two receivers are out, but you know what that means? Marvin Harrison Jr., who's a five-star, uh, Julian Fleming, who's a five-star, Emeka Abuka, who's a five-star. This is their time to shine, and this is their time to start building, laying the foundation for showing Ryan Day why they should be playing next year. So with that said, I kind of don't think Ohio State will be, uh, you know, uh, disappointed to be there. What I would also say, though, is there's a couple things going on in Utah's favor. One, it clearly this game clearly means more to them. Utah... They completely sold out of their ticket allotment, had to ask for more tickets just through the school. Utah State, Utah sold over 35 or so thousand tickets to this game. Going to be a lot of Utah red. I live in Pasadena. Cannot wait to see them all out at the bars and restaurants and all that kind of stuff over the next couple days. Beyond that, first game ever at the Rose Bowl. And what I would also say is stylistically, oh, by the way, Kyle Whittingham, 11-1 in bowl games. Stylistically, um, this is a matchup advantage to Utah. I mean, what was Ohio State's problem the last time we saw them against Michigan? Michigan ran the ball right at them, and Ohio State could not stop them. What does Utah do well? They run the crap out of the football. Four of their last six games, they've gone over 200 yards rushing. One of the games, they did not go over 200 yards. They had 191 yards against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. So this team runs the ball, and they run it right at you. I think all the advantages go to Utah on this one. It was six and a half before all the opt-outs. That's what I got it at. It's now down to four. And last one, last one, Baylor against Ole Miss. Baylor was a two and a half point underdog. Ole Miss was a two and a half point favorite. Uh, it is now down to one. The over-under is set at five and a half, at 55 and a half. And listen, if you listen to this show, you know, I get a lot of stuff wrong. We made a killing on Ole Miss Unders this year. We think of Ole Miss as this pass-happy offense. Uh, here's the deal. Their last seven games of the season all went under, and this total of 55 and a half, 
Ole Miss hasn't gone over 55 and a half in a game since October 16th when they played Tennessee in Knoxville, okay? Look at some of these Ole Miss scores over the last couple games, okay? Uh, Ole Miss, this was a high-scoring Egg Bowl by Ole Miss standards to end the year, 31-21. 31-17 against Vandy, 29-19 against AM, 27-14 against Liberty. Those are the last four games. So nothing has come close to this 55-point number. I like Ole Miss, uh, and I like the under in this game more than I like Ole Miss. But again, I don't tell you how to bet. With that said, I do think it's time for me to get out of here. I do think it's time for me to uh, let you guys go. And that's all for this episode of College Football Betting. First of all, I hope you guys enjoyed the extra bonus bowl episode of College Football Betting. Make sure that you are subscribed. We will do a national championship game preview once that matchup is set. On top of that, we will have content all offseason long as we get updated Heisman odds, as we get week one odds, as we get updated national championship odds. On and on and on and on and on. This is going to be a really fun show in the offseason. I don't know how many episodes we're going to do. I don't know if it's going to be once every couple weeks. I don't know if it's going to be once a month. But we will have content in the offseason. Make sure you're subscribed. Apple, Spotify, Google Music, Amazon Music, whatever. Make sure to share with friends. Uh, make sure you're following me on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres. Thank you to our partners at DraftKings. Again, $5 money line bet on any team. If that team wins, you get $200 in free bets. The link is in the show description. That is all. I hope everybody has a great day. I hope everybody has a great new year. I hope everybody enjoys college football betting with Aaron Torres, and I hope everybody enjoys the bowl games. I'll be back soon. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.